Hi, my name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff with Renovate, which is a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. This week, Josh Story is preaching, giving us the gospel's antidote for when you hate your job. We hope you enjoy. Good evening. How are we doing? Yeah. Good deal. Um, all right, let's go. Genesis chapter 1. It's the first chapter of the first book. I'm making it easy on you. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you about uh, my dream internship. Excited? Uh, well, the, it was the, the summer after my junior year of college, and I scored literally the dream internship. It was incredible. Uh, I had been asked to go work at this really cool advertising agency in Dallas. And I remember being so excited because I had binge watched Mad Men for a semester. And so I was really excited about drinking old fashions at 11 o'clock in the morning. That sounded cool. Um, And I was like, all right, I'm going to go and we're going to do this really cool advertising thing. And so I show up and I get on the elevator and I hop off. And guys, I can only describe this place as like the corporate version of Narnia. It was incredible, because I hop off and I look around and it has everything. There's ping pong tables and Xboxes and beanbag chairs and there's free food and free drinks and trendy creative people and like all these things. And I, and I hop off and I think, this is incredible. This is gonna be phenomenal. I can't, I can't wait. Like, like, let's go, like, let's write some copy and let's do some advertising stuff, right? And I was just so excited about this job because this job just seemed cool. Like, this place was the sweetest place to ever work, and I, and I couldn't be more excited about this job. Well, that excitement barely outlasted orientation um, because I quickly realized that as cool as this place was, I was still an intern. Um, and I realized that because my first task uh, wasn't to, like, uh, sign Coca-Cola. My first task was to go to the post office and get stamps. They're like, do you know what stamps are? I'm like, yes, I, I did. They're like, great. Buy 12 of them. I'm like, fantastic. So, so all of a sudden I realized like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just bottom of the barrel kind of intern, um, which came as a shock to me because I don't know if they were aware, but I was two semesters away from having a bachelor's degree. And uh, yeah, some of you guys know. Um, and on top of that, I spent three whole years sitting in classes, learning and reading books about this very thing. Like, I shouldn't have been a stamp-buying, copy-making, coffee-running intern, right? I should have been the kind of intern that did cool things and, and, and did, like, made waves and, and, and was actually, like, prov- like, promoting and providing and contributing something, right? But at the end of the day, I was just an intern. And in that moment, I came to this big realization that I hated my job. I was like, this is the worst. As cool as this place might be, this job is the worst. Now, I bring that up because maybe your experience has been uh, not exactly the same, but my guess is that at some point, you have had this kind of realization that you don't necessarily like your job all the time. In fact, maybe you're in here and you're like, yes, that is me. I can't stand what I do. Maybe uh, you got this like, dream job right out of college and it didn't take long before that dream job kind of felt more like a nightmare, right? Um, or maybe you work for this really prestigious uh, company and every time you say where you work, people are like, ooh, that's amazing, right? But you like dread going to work. 
You wake up every day and you just can't stand going to work. The company culture is awful. Your management is awful. Your tasks are beneath you, right? Like, like, or, or maybe right now your job is to be a student, um, and that's the worst. And like, there's, there's all these things, right? And, and maybe, just maybe, you're in here and you think, man, I don't really like where I'm at. I don't really like my job. If that's you, you're, you're, you're not alone, actually. Um, we are a generation that is unbelievably discontent with our work. Let me read to you just a couple stats that I found this week as I was studying. Um, according to uh, a recent Gallup poll, I think this is interesting, uh, 29% of millennials are engaged at work. That's cool. Um, but 16% are actively disengaged, and 55% are not engaged, which means that 71% of the people in this room are totally checked out at work. It's a massive chunk, statistically speaking, right? 71% are totally checked out at work. On top of that, 40% say that they are, quote, somewhat committed to their employer. And I'm sure they can't tell. <laughs> I'm sure your boss has no idea that you're somewhat committed, right? Um, on top of that, 52% view the concept of employee loyalty as being overrated. 25% believe that staying at a job for seven months indicates that they are a loyal employee. <laughs> seven months. Right? 43% envision leaving their jobs within two years just because. <laughs> On top of that, almost 25% of millennials have worked for five different employers. And lastly, this is what is, is amazing to me. Millennial turnover costs the U.S. economy $30.5 billion annually. To put that into perspective, in 2017, Coca-Cola did $35 billion in revenue worldwide. So millennial turn turnover costs our economy about what Coca-Cola makes every year in revenue, right? $30 billion, right? Now, I read you all that because I think we can all agree that we have a generation that is just, we just tend to be discontent with our work. And we spend a lot of time at work or at school or, or trying to make a living of sorts, right? And there is nothing more draining than knowing that what you spend the majority of your time doing is just exhausting. But what if it didn't have to be like that? What if we could have a perspective that when we got out of bed in the morning, our first thought wasn't dread, but it was joy? Imagine if we had a perspective, if, if we could get up and we could go to work doing the exact same job, working for the exact same people, having the exact same tasks, but there was something different about the way that we viewed work where all of a sudden we didn't quite hate it as much. There was an excitement, there was a joy about it. I think that's possible. Because what I want us to see tonight is that we have a God who has a very specific view of work, and typically we don't have that same view. Our perspective on work and God's perspective on work tend to be drastically different. And so what I want us to do tonight is really simple. I want to talk about three specific reasons why we typically hate our work and what the gospel says in uh, relation to, to that. Because I want us to see that the gospel is actually the antidote for the moments when we hate our job. And so um, if you are in here and you think, I love my job, this sounds like a downer. This isn't one of those like, well, one day you're going to hate it, right? That, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that, like, if we're honest, there are just days where sometimes we go to work, even if we love our jobs, and we just think, man, this is brutal. I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And so my hope in, in, in all of this is that we can um, develop a perspective, no matter where you are on the spectrum, uh, that we can love our work because of the way that God 
has created work to be. So um, with that being said, let me dive in. I want to talk about the first reason why we tend to hate our work, and it's this. So we fail to recognize the dignity inherent within our work. But we fail to recognize the dignity that is inherent within our work. Um, and what I mean is this, is that um, sometimes we don't like our work or we hate our jobs because we believe that the things that we do or we're asked to do are beneath us. We believe that, there's, that they're, they're just beneath us, right? And, and, and typically this happens because either we have a certain um, education or background or our, our dad did this or our fam- family name means this. And so we have this kind of idea that, that certain jobs have worth and value and other jobs just don't, right? We, we tend to ascribe dignity to certain types of work and we tend to rob other certain types of work of that same worth and value, right? And when that happens, one of two things happen. One, um, we tend to uh, pursue careers that don't actually fit our gifts or our talents or our passions because it's prestigious, right? So, so when, when I was a little kid, my parents were like, hey, you should be an orthodontist. If you know me, I would be the worst orthodontist of all time, right? But like, why? I was like, oh yeah, like that seems like a prestigious job. That seems like a good way to make a living, right? Um, but, but so often we tend to, to look at certain jobs and say, oh, well, that seems prestigious or that seems like that makes a lot of money or that gains a lot of respect. And so we don't pay any attention to our gifts or our talents. We actually just go for the thing that just seems to be the more dignified option, right? And we have a lot of people who maybe you hate your job because you're not actually really good at it. Yeah, it's prestigious and you make a lot of money, but you're not passionate. It doesn't actually line up with your gifts, right? Or the second thing that can happen is that we refuse to take certain jobs because they're beneath us. If we tend to ascribe a certain worth or value to certain kind of jobs and not to other jobs, then what happens is that we will refuse to take certain jobs because they're just beneath us. And if I don't believe me on that, if you have a college degree, I don't want to project on you, but my guess is that if you get laid off and you have a certain level of education and your last job had a certain level of status, you would prefer to go months without a job and blow through your savings before you ever became a greeter at Walmart. My guess is that you would rather go in debt trying to find a certain job that, that, that has the level of status that you feel like you are entitled to rather than flipping burgers at McDonald's. And maybe I'm wrong, but, but my guess is that because we tend to say there is a certain type of dignity within certain kind of works, and we rob other types of work of that same worth, then we just refuse to do certain jobs because we think that they're beneath us. And when you think that your job is beneath you, that's exhausting and that's draining. But the reality is that we see a very different picture in Scripture. Let me show you this. This is Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. So then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. All right, there's something very unique and very cool that we see in this text, right? God had just created the universe. He created uh, the stars and the heavens and the waters and the birds and the fish and all these things, right? And God gets to the end and he decides to create mankind. And what's interesting is that out of all the creation, mankind 
is the only aspect of creation created in the image of God. There's a certain dignity that happens when God says, hey, you are created in my image. But we weren't just created in the image of God. What God does next is he gives man a task. He says, because you are created in my image, you will therefore have dominion. You will then rule and reign. And so what God is doing is God is placing mankind on earth as what we would call his viceroy. Right? A, a, a viceroy is someone who, who goes and rules and reigns and governs on behalf of a supreme authority. Right? So it would be a king saying, hey, I want you in, 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 with my authority and my image representing me to go and to rule and reign on my behalf. And that's what God is doing. God is saying, hey, I've created this world. And since you are created in my image, you bear my image, you are in my likeness, you now have this task to go rule and reign as I do. I'm giving you authority to go and have dominion. And we'll talk about that word dominion in a second because dominion is not the same thing as domineering, and that's important for us to know. But God says, hey, you now have a task. So what we see here is that the dignity of our work doesn't come from what we do. It comes from the fact that we get to do anything. The worth and value of our work is not based on what we do. It's based on the fact that we get to do something. That out of all of the creation, we are the only aspect of creation given the ability and the requirement to work, given the opportunity to work. So there is dignity because we are created in the image of God given the opportunity to work. There is value that is inherent within our work because of that. And I think Jesus just drives this home. Right, because Colossians 1 says that Jesus is preeminent, that he is the creator of, of, of all things, that all things were created through him and by him and for him, that he is before all things and that in him all things hold together. Yet when Jesus, when God decided to take on flesh, he did not come through some pedigreed line. He didn't come to be a noble. He didn't come to be a ruler. No, when our God took on flesh, what he decided to do is he came to be born of a blue-collar family in a very controversial situation. He then spent the first couple of years of his life on the run as a refugee. And by the time he finally made it back to his podunk hometown of Nazareth, he became a carpenter just like his carpenter dad. And I don't think there's a single person in this room that would look at Jesus and say, oh man, he's lacking in worth or value because he was a blue-collar carpenter. You know, Jesus sets the tone for us and lets us know that our worth and our value is not based in what we do, but based on the fact that we get to do something. And Jesus set that pace. And so the point of all that is that if you are in the room and you are frustrated with your work because you feel like your job or the tasks or the things being asked of you are beneath you, one, I would say you, you might need to check your pride. You might need to check your pride. But you also might need to, to just stop and try to identify the dignity and the worth and the value in what you get to do because you have been given the task to work, because you're created in the image of God. But on the flip side, I mean, if you are in the room and you feel shame because you look at your work and you feel like, ah, there's not a whole lot of dignity to what I do, there is. The beauty of this is that the way that God has created work to function, we should never feel shame for the things that we do. We should never feel arrogance, but we should also never feel shame because there is inherent worth and value that sometimes we just miss. 
And so first, I want us to see that there is inherent dignity and worth and value in what we do. And if we fail to recognize that, then we will come to a place where we just don't like what we do and we are exhausted. Here's the second reason why we tend to hate our work. It's because we don't understand the purpose of our work. We tend to hate our jobs because we don't understand the purpose of our work. And what I mean is that there are few things as draining in the world as going to a job where you feel like it's just meaningless, where it's purposeless, where you're not contributing to anything. But what we see in Scripture um, is that everything that we do has a very specific purpose, and we see it in the next verse. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what God says here is, is he says, all right, I'm placing you in the garden as my viceroy, as the one created in my image. I'm giving you authority to rule and to reign. And what he says is to subdue the earth. What God is saying is, he says, I want you to look around. I want you to bring order to the chaos in a way that brings cultural flourishing. We call this the cultural mandate. And the purpose of all work, the purpose that God has has put in work is that our job is to come as his ambassadors and bring order to chaos in a way that brings human flourishing. And here's what's really interesting about this. The word subdue is an interesting word because I think that oftentimes we kind of view the word subdue as this like battle. Right? Like our, our job is to kind of come in and kind of force the earth to do what we want it to do. And it's this kind of battle, and we're fighting to subdue it. But you have to remember, this is pre-fall. This is before the fall. Sin hasn't entered the picture yet. The ground hasn't been cursed. There's no thorns. There's no um, sweat. There's no toil. Right? This is still paradise. So this isn't some kind of aggressive, abusive, like bend the earth to their will kind of thing. This is God saying, hey, I have put you on this earth. And look at the opportunity. Look at the opportunity to bring flourishing, to garden and to create and to cultivate in such a way that everything around you flourishes. This is a passage about stewardship. I want you to love and care and steward what I have given you well in a way that everyone around you flourishes. And that is what we get to do when it comes to work. Our jobs, no matter what you do, is we get to aid in human flourishing. We get to aid in allowing the other people around us to flourish. Now, here's the hard part about that. Sometimes it's very hard for us to see how our jobs play a part in human flourishing, right? Because there's certain jobs we can kind of see like, oh yeah, doctors, they do a great job at human flourishing, right? Like nurses do a great job at human flourishing. Teachers do a great job at human flourishing. But, but do all jobs, yes, all jobs have this beautiful ability to aid in cultural flourishing if we have the ability to see it. And when we have the ability to see it, it brings unprecedented joy, right? So um, I used to wait tables. And I, uh, any table waiters or former table waiters? Yeah, all right, cool. It's a great job. Um, I... Uh, I, for, for a long time, I was like, I don't think I'm contributing to anything. Obesity, maybe, but other than that, like, I'm not really contributing to anything, right? Like, I'm just refilling drinks and, like, taking orders, like, but I'm not, like, my job kind of lacks purpose. And the reason I thought like that is because I, I, I didn't see the beauty of what I got to do. I didn't see, man, my, my job actually does aid in cultural flourishing, 
I didn't have the perspective, though, to see that, man, there were nights when I had the opportunity to look at two exhausted parents who were on a much-needed date night and get to help them have a phenomenal night. I couldn't see the fact that I had this unique ability to, to, to see a guy on an awkward first date and do everything in my power to set him up to win, right? <laughs> like, like, want to talk about human flourishing? Like, help a brother out, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have the ability to, to see a group of, of old friends who finally got together for the first time after a long time and just say, hey, what can I do to make this night phenomenal? What can I do to help this be one of the most memorable nights of your life? Like, if I had that perspective, I would have loved going to work. Because as random as I thought my job was, like, I had this beautiful ability to help aid in human flourishing. But I just didn't have the per- perspective. A few uh, week, weeks ago, I had to call a plumber because we had this like kind of standing water in our dishwasher, and I'm not a plumber, but I know that that's not right. And so, <laughs> and, and so I call him, and he sh- shows up, and I had never met a plumber who was so stoked about plumbing in my life, and it was incredible. Like I, like I was in awe because he, because he comes, and he fixes our, our problem, but then he's looking at our pipes, and he says, who, who put your pipes t- together? I'm like, I have, I have no idea. Not me. And he goes, he goes, whoever put your pipes together should be arrested. He's like, this is awful. He's like, can I fix your pipes? He's like, he's like I, won't, I won't charge you any extra, but man, like, I, I in good conscience can't leave here knowing that your pipes look like this. And he sits down and for 45 minutes, free of charge, he just rebuilds my entire sink. And I'll sit there, I'm like, why are you doing that? And this is a dude that understood that his job as a plumber was to aid in human flourishing. That, that he went above and beyond because he saw something and said, I can't leave knowing that your house isn't going to function the way that it could. Right? And so the question for us is, do you have the ability to look at your job and identify where you get to play a part in aiding in human flourishing? Because I don't care if you are delivering babies or delivering pizza. You have the ability to play a part in helping the people around you flourish. The question is, man, can we see that? Can we recognize that, right? But here's the last thing, the last reason why we tend to hate our jobs. is because we believe that our jobs exist to satisfy us. The third reason we hate our jobs is because we believe that our jobs exist to satisfy us. And what I mean is that there are certain things that we crave, certain things that we all long for. And what we typically do is we turn to our jobs to fill the deepest longings in our heart. Because something has changed where where we don't view our jobs as simply a way to pay our bills and aid in cultural flourishing. We view our jobs as the avenue to the satisfaction that we crave. Right? So if you crave status, how easy is it to look to our job to find the status that we crave? If you crave acceptance or affirmation, how easy is it to, to look to our jobs to provide us with some sort of level of, of acceptance or affirmation or to give us an attaboy, right? Like so many of the things that we long for, if you have a desire for control, how easy is it to look to your job to provide that control, right? So we so easily look to our jobs to, to satisfy these kind of desires of our hearts and what happens 
is we grow very discontent because it doesn't take long to realize that our jobs can't do that. Maybe for a season, but ultimately they can't. And there's a very specific reason for that. Because in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon says something very specific. If you don't know who Solomon is, he is the wisest guy that's ever lived. He was a king. He was a baller. Like There's not a person on that planet that had more money than him that had more women than him, that had more parties. I mean, this dude did it all. And this dude sits down and writes this entire book to let everybody know, if you can do it, I've done it. And it's all meaningless. It's all a chasing after the wind. And in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says something very unique. He says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And what he means is that because God has placed eternity in our hearts, We long for that which is eternal, and we are dissatisfied with anything that is not eternal. And that's why when we look to our jobs to provide satisfaction, we come up wanting. Because even on your best day, even if you're in a season where you are getting affirmation and you feel loved and all these other things, all it takes is one bad performance review to wreck it. All it takes is one bad quarter, one missed sale, one missed opportunity, one bad meeting to wreck everything because it's not eternal. It's also why we tend to, to always look to the next thing, why, why 40% of us are thinking, in, in, in two years, I'll probably do something else. I don't know what, but I'm going to do some, some, something else. We, we are always looking for the next thing because we tend to allow ourselves to believe that, man, if I can just have that thing, then I'll be good. Yeah, man, this company was great. It was a great kind of starter company. I learned some things, but man, it kind of has a ceiling. And so, man, if, if I could have the upper mobility that that place has, then I'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, this salary was great, but man, if I could make that kind of money, then I'd be happy. Yeah, my management's pretty cool, but man, if I could have that style of management, then I'd be happy. Right? And it just goes on and on and on. And we look to all these other jobs because we think that, man, if I could just have that job, then I'd be satisfied. And it just doesn't work because our jobs were never built to satisfy. They don't have the capacity to satisfy us because we long for the eternal. We are dissatisfied with anything but the eternal, which is exactly why, and as churchy as this might sound, this is exactly why the gospel is the antidote to the moments when we hate our job. Because everything we crave and everything that we look to our jobs to give us, we find in Christ, but we find it eternally. Right? Like if you crave status, you look to your work to provide status, do you realize the status that we have in the gospel? That, that when Christ went to the cross for us, he didn't just save us, but he adopted us. And that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are not just saved, but we are adopted, which means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as an enemy or a stranger. He sees you as a son or a daughter, as Romans 8 says, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that the king of the universe knows your name. That's status. There are not enough employee of the month awards in the world to gain the status that we have in Christ. We are spiritual billionaires. We are co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the king. If you look to your work to provide acceptance or affirmation, eventually you won't find what you're looking for. 
But in Christ, we have this beautiful picture of a God who didn't wait for us to get our stuff together. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that out of God's love for us, he says, hey, I know you are a jacked up, miserable sinner, but I love you anyway. And when Christ went to the cross, he bridged the gap between us and God that our sin created in such a way that now we have a right relationship with God and there's not a bad performance review that will ever taint the way that God sees us. There's never a day when you drop the ball where God's love for you will fade. The love and the affirmation that you seek in your workplace that will eventually run out, you find or we find in our God eternally. I could go on and on and on, but what we see in the gospel is that everything we tend to crave, the things that we long to experience eternally, we find in Christ and Christ alone. And it's easy to look at that and think, ah, oh, man, that sounds really churchy. But call my bluff, man. You, you can bounce from job to job to job trying to find something that's going to satisfy you, but you will end up exhausted. The beauty of the gospel is that we have a guy who says, hey, I want to satisfy you. And I've gone to great lengths so that your hope can be found in me and me alone. And the beauty is that when we understand the gospel in such a way that that our perspective has changed. It allows us to, to wake up in the morning, to put our feet on the floor. We can be excited. We don't dread our, our job the same way that we did the day before because we understand, man, there is worth and value in what I'm doing that I've been called to be someone who aids in the flourishing of those around me. And I don't have to find my identity in what I do. I don't have to look to my job to satisfy me. I can simply go and love and serve others the way that Christ has called me to. It's freeing when we understand how the gospel affects our work. And so my hope in all of this is that I don't know where you are. I don't know if you currently hate your job or you've been there or if it's going to happen to you in the future. I have no idea. But my hope is that the more that we understand the gospel, it doesn't just shape the way that we um, kind of view God, but it shapes the way that we view our work. It shapes the way that we go to work because we understand that we have a God who fulfills the deepest longings of our heart and then frees us just to go and to love and to serve. Let me pray. God, my hope tonight is that the gospel doesn't become a white noise, that it's not just another uh, sermon about how you love us, but that the more that we understand, the more that we understand the depth of who you are and what you've done and, and how it applies to our life, that it shapes everything about us. That it shapes the way that we interact with those that we work with. It shapes the way that we approach work. So God, my, my hope and my prayer is that we can be a people who get out of bed in the morning and there's joy and there's excitement because we understand the privilege that we have to go and to be ambassadors, to go and to, to rule and reign and, and aid in loving and serving the world around us. So God, my hope is that you continually shape us and you stir our hearts and you move us to a place where we, where we want to look like you, even in the workplace. We love you. Wow, that is eye-opening. To think that 71% of our demographic is disengaged at work is hard to imagine. But it makes so much sense. In our pursuit of meaning and purpose, we so often put our hope in our job, which was never meant to satisfy us. 
Jesus is the only one who can give us that sense of fulfillment. And the best part is, he will never fire you or lay you off. Jesus has made it clear that there's nothing that can separate you from him ever again. What a joy we have to know that we can never be torn away from the one who gives us ultimate meaning and purpose. May we be a people who walks in that daily as we look to him to satisfy us while we go about our work. If there are still some things about that that don't make sense, or you'd like to follow up and talk about how you can make this happen in your life, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw, and we would love to talk to you. That's all from us this week. We hope to see you again soon.